Welcome to our podcast, The Words That Make Us. Consider this time with us as your excuse to take a break from everything. Every episode, we choose a word that makes us think, wonder, or dream. We read a range of texts that explore different aspects of this word. And we let our thoughts wander. We hope that yours will too. So grab your favorite tea. Or a beer. And join me, Ramachar. And me, Tony Bailey. Let's go! (laughs) So, today's episode is a follow-up from last week's episode on silence. feeling today, Tony? Uh, oh, you know. You know how it is with the male hormones. It's that sort of time. It's <laughs> that time. Who knows? I might be a bit grumpy today. Oh, okay. Well, that is actually very interesting because remember last time when we talked about silence and you brought something from the scriptures right. and I promise, promised to go and find something from the Quran as well. Does that cause the male hormones to stop? <laughs> no, but I found something... Equally interesting about women, I don't know what you will think, so I'll run it by you. So when I was doing my research, I did not find anything on silence, but I found something about maybe silencing. I don't know if that's what we would call it, but, but here it is. It says here, And get two witnesses of your own men, and if there are not two men, then a man and two women, such as you choose for witnesses, So that if one of them errs, the other can remind her. So this was taken from Surah Al-Baqarah, verse 182. And um, what do you make of that? Uh, It's like, if you don't have a man, you need two women to take their place. Yeah. That's a bit... I would say four or five probably would be better than... (laughs) Don't you think? (laughs) Yeah, the the more the merrier, I think. That's terrible, isn't it? And so it's kind of a, it's linked to what we were talking about last week about silence not being a, a state, but an instruction. Mm. And almost like um, women can't be entrusted to say anything worthy, so they must be silenced or underrepresented or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is that still... A thing. Is that a thing? It's not anymore. It? I'm happy to say that it's not anymore. But but it, to be fair, I went and looked for maybe some explanation, maybe a scientific explanation for the thing. And it's interesting because I found an article that um, did its best to find um, medical journals and brought okay. evidence from medical journals of why this is the case. So this is something that I found. It says here from the Psychiatry in Practice... Um, April 1983 issue. issue. It says, 40% of women suffer from premenstrual syndrome in some form, and one in four women have their lives severely disrupted by it. This is Dr. Jill Williams says this. Um, And it says, it recognizes that patients are at risk and suggests a suitable treatment for this. Wow. Um, And then I found something else. It says, and this is contradictory to the first bit, and it says... 
from the same journal, I think the same issue even, it says, other authorities have suggested that premenstrual syndrome is a new problem, regular ovulation for 20 years or more being a phenomenon caused by civilization, medical progress, and an altered concept of the role of women, which is really fascinating in okay. my opinion. So it kind of says, yeah, women have these hormonal issues and that's why maybe we should have two women say the same thing for it to be true. Um, and then it goes and con contradicts itself and it says that um, this is a new thing. thing, which was not the case back in the time of the Quran. So I'm not sure what to make of this, to be honest. Yeah. I find it a little bit iffy that really. I, I understand the um, the medical um, medical opinion that women may uh, suffer from PMS, and I certainly have experienced not myself, um, but of, of being in relationships with people where I, I was clearly I could clearly tell, and there were def definitely mood swings at different times of the of, of the month. Um, but to use that as a justification for what's written in the Quran, I'm not sure that I altogether support that. Yeah. I mean... I struggle I, with it. I'm not sure I, I get it myself, especially because for me personally, I never ever felt a difference in my mood, depending on my cycle or anything like that. Nobody in my life has ever pointed out that I was different, erratic or emotional or anything like that. So I find it difficult to, when people say, oh, she's PMSing or when somebody says, oh, I'm not feeling well today because I have my period. So, um, I, I, but there are certainly women who feel that way when they have yeah. it. So, But I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that that therefore means that your judgment is suddenly not relevant yeah. or is only worth half as much. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean... Uh, and, you know, there are, you know, blokes who... Uh, who go out on a heavy night's drinking the next day and hung over and feeling terrible. We don't give them, you know, special dispensation because of their, you know... Absolutely. If, if the two, two men who witnessed your accident were drinking the night before, yes. then you need four of them. I mean, yeah. we don't do that for men. I agree. So I've, it's a little bit condescending, isn't it? It is a bit condescending, and I, I've always struggled with this bit because I felt like I am of sound mind and I would... So I'm a, I'm a person very prone to indignation, yeah, if I this, noticed that. Yeah. <laughs> if this yeah. was me, I would definitely say, you know what? I am not testifying. Go find your men to uh, find yourself some two um, very trustworthy men and get them to testify. So yeah. I, I. But I, I was thinking when you were describing that about uh, you need two witnesses. It, it shouldn't be an issue, but it is an issue. I was thinking about when uh, in a court case they select the jury. Mm -hmm. And it's really important, depending on the nature of the case, what the makeup of the jury is going to be and yeah. how many women and how many men. Yeah. And um, almost like the, the validity or the trustworthiness of the witness depends on... I, I, gender is part of it, not mm. the only thing, obviously, but, you know, class background, etc. Um, and I could imagine an insurance company um, looking at the validity of, of a statement based on oh, it's a woman who doesn't know anything about, you know... Yeah, is car, it a pregnant woman? So they were probably stressed. Yeah. Which is terrible, really. It is really terrible. It is terrible. So so that was what I found. Then I, it reminded me of a poem that I had read by Rupi Kaur. I don't know if oh, yeah, you, yeah. No, you I know. know her. I've done a bit of the old um, journaling with Rupi. I like that. I've heard yeah. about her journal, and I actually was thinking about getting it and doing <clears throat> the little exercises that she mentions in... Yeah, her book. I was quite enthusiastic about it when I got the book because the yeah. book was really nice. 
but there's a lot of pages in it, so that means you've got to do a lot yourself. I see. So I you gave up on it, but I should I should maybe I should get back to maybe you can pick it up again. So there's a little poem where she says, and I really like this one. It says, "You tell me to quiet down because my opinion." Opinions make me less beautiful, but I was not made with a fire in my belly so I could be put out. I was not made with a lightness in my tongue so I could be easy to swallow. I was made heavy, half blade and half silk, difficult to forget, but not easy for my mind, for the mind to follow. Wow. Good. I really like this one. Yeah. I particularly like her describing herself half blade, half silk. I think that's perfect. I think we all need to be, especially women, like there's the femininity is very important, but also this sharpness. We should not lose that edge. No, I think um, it's, it's sometimes viewed as unladylike mm, to have to, an opinion. To show that aside. Yeah. But it's completely healthy to do so. I think so too. I think yeah. it makes life interesting. Imagine if a man did all the talking in a relationship and a woman was just nodding chance yes would be a fi- Chance would be a fine thing, Rama, from my experience. That's <laughs> never happened, but yes. But it's interesting. Um, silence in a relationship, though. So what we've just read there, you know, is you, you shouldn't expect silence. You shouldn't expect consistency either. You've got the two, you've got the two, the blade and the, mm. and the silk. But how do you know um, what is the best balance in a relationship between silence and, and noise? And I think it's probably one of the biggest relationship difficulties I've had mm. is, you know, when is it the right time just to leave it? Mm-hmm. Don't say anything, leave it, give it time, etc. And And when is it the time to tackle it? And what have you in a relationship where the two sides have different idea of that yeah i mean be disastrous i find that it's really communication i'm a big fan of communication i think that communication should always be present and we should talk about things constantly but also not to talk things to death i think that fine balance is really important and also i'm a big fan of um when they say don't sweat the small stuff yeah. I find that very important. So not everything is worth talking about, not worth the noise. For example, it's like, um, I don't know, did you hang the towel right or did you do this right? Is this really worth talking about? That's something I would leave. But, often, but often talking about the small stuff is a manifestation of big stuff. True. That, that hasn't come to the surface yet. And it's easier... It's easier to shout at somebody about the, you know, you didn't put the toilet lid down. When that, what I actually mean is, I hate you and I don't want to live with you anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of easier to take it out on the toilet. The tangible. I yeah. think it's easier to talk about the tangible stuff, yeah. even if they're little things, to say, oh, it's about the toilet seat and it's about this, where actually maybe it, sometimes it's a change of heart. Sometimes it's resentment. Sometimes it's past trauma that is actually yeah, making yeah. you act a certain way almost certainly exactly and so sometimes yeah. we really have to or the need to be heard or, or oh something. yeah yeah I, I looked up um just what what would a um a professional counselor say about silence just to get a bit of guidance mm. um so i um i looked at a website by pathways professional counseling website Ooh. So if they're listening, thank you so much. I'm, I'm stealing some of your material here. Uh, but your guidance on, on silence. And they said, nonverbal communication, 
plays a vital role in how we interact with others. It is commonly uh, quoted that communication is 90% nonverbal communication and body language, with the remainder made up of actual words and other vocal elements. You can find different studies that quote different amounts of nonverbal communication in relationships, but regardless of which is true, we know for a fact that nonverbals play a very important role in how we communicate and perceive communication. One piece of communication that accompanies our nonverbal reactions is silence. Mm -hmm. We can convey approval, disapproval, anger, or other messages through a silent response. So it then talks a little bit about how to use healthy silence. So it says silence can be both positive or negative in our communications. And when we experience it negatively, it can take on the form of the silent treatment, mm. which most of us have both received and delivered at some point in our lives. Yeah, tell me about it. Additionally, responding with silence when someone needs verbal validation or encouragement can be devastating Absolutely. to a relationship. Positive silence is necessary for strong relationships to last. Healthy silence can show a level of vulnerability and comfort within a relationship. At other times, one or both individuals may need a break from verbal communication, just being content in each other's space. Healthy silence can also be utilised when a person is angry and escalating. Simply being quiet and not escalating with the speaker can extinguish a damaging situation before it begins. Absolutely. So I quite like that and thought that was quite helpful. So uh, thank you to the uh, professional counselling website there. Um, but it did leave me with some questions there. Mm. That, what, what do you do when the needs of both sides are different, though? That's a very good question, actually, because some people resort to silence when they're upset. They say to you, I just need a moment. And they leave the room and they go think. And the other partner might really need to talk about it right now. You know, yeah. let's clear up the situation and just move on with our lives. And I tend to be the latter. I really need to talk things out. But I, I have come to understand that some people don't like that and they want their peace. And so I think a healthy compromise might feel like you know what, yes, you can have your peace, you can go and think or do whatever, but after that, can we please talk about it? Maybe when you have quietened and when I have also calmed down, it's actually healthy then. We're not reactive, yeah. but we are yeah. reflecting and there's a big difference there and there's no, then there's no need for mean words or accusations or anything like that where we're just sitting there to discuss something and to come to a solution. Basically, Let's start with the solution rather than with the accusations. Yeah. So I, I found that where, <clears throat> where the relationship treats silence according to one of the two parties' mm. need, mm. then it's going to create difficulty. Absolutely. There's certainly been in situations where there's been some conflict about something and then the silent treatment. Yes. Whereas I've just wanted to... You know, I didn't want to have an argument, yeah. didn't even want to um, provide excuses or claim it wasn't my fault, whatever. I just wanted to understand what the problem was. Exactly, because sometimes you don't even know what's happening. Exactly. And so there were so many occasions in, in, in the past where um, I was being given the silent treatment and I didn't know why. I didn't know what it was about. I didn't really understand it. And that, rather like that... Um, that little text indicates the feeling of helpless, helplessness that you get when you don't understand, you can't do anything about it, and you are being given the silent treatment is worse than having a flaming row. 
Absolutely. Because at least the flame of rabbit gets everything out, out in the open. Yeah. Um, and then, interestingly, a flaming row is always followed by that silence, mm. which is everything have calmed calming down, down yeah. again. Whereas when everything's silent, where do you go from there? I, th- I like the expression, I really like the expression in English, um, the cold shoulder. Yeah. I really yeah. like that. When somebody gives you the cold shoulder, that is cold, yeah, man. Yeah, it's not nice, That is, is really cold. And I, it's, it's, I find it in a way disrespectful. It's like, um, acknowledge my presence here. Tell me what I've done so I can actually do something about it or, or explain myself. Maybe I'm wrong and I'll apologize, but don't just give me the cold shoulder. That is dismissive and, and that is... And it's become... Maybe it's always been, but it's one of the cruelest forms of kind of bullying mm. or, you know, you look at, because we work with children, right? Mm. But you, you can spot those situations where children have been ostracized and are being given the cold shoulder, mm. the silent treatment, nobody talks to them, they're being left out of everything. And that's really yeah. hard. It makes you feel very small, doesn't it? It makes mm. you feel very um, insignificant. It's like, you are not really even worthy of my time. Yeah. I'm yeah. not going to give you the time of day. And that that is harsh. That yeah. is really cold. And I think in any relationship, we have got to learn how to talk about our, our issues, you know? And it doesn't have to be that we repeat ourselves all the time. And it doesn't have to be that we talk about the smallest things. But when something becomes a pattern then it's really worth sitting down and talking about it. Yeah. And even in writing, if you're not comfortable saying things, write them down. Yeah, yeah, I'm a big yeah. fan of writing letters. You know, it's like, okay, we live in the same house, but if I am too frazzled, I can't explain myself, then why not write you something? And then you can write me one back, and then we communicate that way. The good thing way. about written communication is you, you can always start again mm. and rewrite it. Yes. Whereas spoken, often things are said that aren't meant or aren't really what you wanted to say. Um, or were, you know, impacted by your emotions at the time, but you can't take it back or it's very difficult to. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard of um, John Gottman. He's a psychologist and he and his partner did really amazing work and now everybody is talking about him even though his work was done many years ago. And he talks about bids for connection Mm -hmm. and he says that he was able to predict whether couples were going to make it um, and have a long marriage or not mm-hmm. by the bids of connection that were acknowledged and those that were rejected. Oh, okay. So one example that he had was like if somebody is by the window going, hey, do you look at that bird or look at that ship or something? And the other one just goes, mm-hmm, and ignores it. That is yeah. one bid for connection rejected. rejected. And so if this happens a lot, because they used to put them in a really nice apartment where there were cameras everywhere and they yeah. were like looking at these little um, behaviors. And they were able with very high um, accuracy to detect, to predict who was going to stay together and who was going to end the relationship. That's really that is interesting. Really interesting. <clears throat> I so, think any couple that allows somebody to put video cameras in their home yeah. whilst they're going about their business, the chances are going to be low that their relationship will last. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah Big brother there. <clears throat> and so bringing it back to silence then, you could make a claim then that for a couple, um, for their future success as a couple for their longevity they need to understand the significance of silence in their relationship yes and they need to understand where it fits and how to tackle it because i can definitely say hand on heart that my inability to tackle silence in my previous relationship has 
cause it to fail. Really? So yeah. you feel like giving people space, is that <clears throat> what you mean by silence? Knowing when silence is appropriate, mm. um, but also the other side of the relationship, the mm. partner knowing that there is a need for some clarification and discussion, and that just being silent because you want to be silent isn't always the right thing to do. Mm. You know, you, you need to know what your partner's needs are in that as well. Because in a way, being selfish, uh, being silent is being selfish. Mm. Like you say about doing the cold shoulder. Mm. Mm. Something's happened that I'm not happy with, so I'm just going to lock myself in a room for three weeks and say nothing. It might satisfy your needs, but it doesn't help the other person in the relationship in any way. Exactly. Um, it makes so, them feel rejected, makes them feel small. They're yeah. not going to come back. When when you're ready to come out of your room and you're ready to talk again, they're not going to be the same, are they? Because well, they... they've had several days or weeks of wondering what, what all of this is about. And once the imagination starts running, anything can be in there. So it could be quite damaging too. Absolutely. Yeah. I never thought about it like that. But, you know, a bit of counselling to people might be, you know, have you had a discussion with your partner about what to do? in moments of silence or where one of you needs silence or you know how does silence play a role in your relationship in yeah. in either um, the good moments or the bad moments exactly like again like we touched upon last time about those wonderful moments of silence together where your partner spoils it by starting to talk about the shopping when you <laughs> <laughs> oh be quiet I want to experience let's just take this moment yeah, in and absolutely. just yeah yeah um, this reminds me of a piece, actually, one of the, my favorite books that I have read um, is written by Khalil Gibran. Oh, I yeah, don't know yeah. if you've heard of him. I he have. was um, Lebanese, Syrian, but he moved to America when he was young. So he was born in 1883 and died in 1931. Um, so really? Some... I, I thought, I always thought, he, he's one of those authors that you see his name a lot. Everywhere, yeah. So there's... Facebook inspirational posts, <laughs> memes, whatever, with his name on yeah. the bottom. I assumed that he was still alive and mm. that he was a contemporary writer because his, what he writes is quite contemporary. I think what he writes is quite universal. You know, it can apply to anybody at any time. That's why I really, really like them, like his writing. And um, I'm not sure if this was written originally in English or in Arabic because he wrote in both languages, mm -hmm. but I find it really cool. So if you'll allow me to read it to you. Yeah. So this one is, is about talking. It's not about silence. So it's like um, there is a book called uh, The Prophet and the prophet mm -hmm. is leaving the city where he had been for a long time. But before he leaves, they gather around him, the townsfolk, and they ask him questions and he gives them their his two cents on each of, <laughs> <laughs> each of these topics. And so this one um, is about talking. So this... Um, and then a scholar said, speak of talking. And he answered saying... You talk when you cease to be at peace with your thoughts. And when you can no longer dwell in the solitude of your heart, you live in your lips. And sound is a diversion and a pastime. And in much of your talking, thinking is half murdered. For thought is a bird of space that in a cage of words may indeed unfold its wings but cannot fly. There are those among you who seek the talkative through fear of being alone. The silence of aloneness reveals in their eyes their naked selves, and they would escape. And there are those who talk and without knowledge or forethought reveal a truth which they themselves do not understand. 
and there are those who have the truth within them, but they tell it not in words. In the bosom of such as these, the spirit dwells in rhythmic silence. When you meet your friend on the roadside or in the marketplace, let the spirit in you move your lips and direct your tongue. Let the voice within your voice speak to the ear or his ear, for his soul will keep the truth of your heart as the taste of the wine is remembered, when the color is forgotten and the vessel is no more. Wow. Beautiful. It sort of resonates with so much of what we talked about yeah. so far. Mm. Um, <clears throat> kind of, in a way, there's a little bit of stoicism. Yes. A little bit of stoicism there from, from our previous discussion. Um, what was that beautiful quote from last time about... Um, if you're ignorant, then don't... Um, don't give us proof that you are... Don't give us you're talking. <laughs> she, said, yeah. she said it much better than <clears throat> Much this. better than we did. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I like the, um, the image of the, the bird um, With the un- not the f- being able to fly because it's trapped by the... Yeah, the, the, the words insufficiency the, of words. Yeah. I think that's uh, something that I've, I'll take away from this podcast. Mm-hmm is this idea of the insufficiency of, of words. Mm. Because, um, yeah, sometimes it, you do more harm than good by trying to express either how you feel or what you've seen or what you've experienced Absolutely. Through, through, uh, through words. That's a beautiful piece of writing. It is one of my favourite books, really. Um, I would really recommend, recommend it to you. It's really, really good and on many different things. And... Um, Maybe I'll gift it to you at some point. Yeah, but interesting though that the the strength of the argument about silence there comes mm. not as an active thing, but as a it's about not talking as opposed to being silent. Yes. So it's choosing. It's a bit like the analogy of let's bring music into it because I like music. Yes. But it's a bit like you know the instruction with music is sometimes it's, it's better to take things out mm. so that you can hear what is actually left. Less is more. And this idea of sort of ambient sound and ambient music, even the um, the John Cage 4 minute 33, which is just silence, mm. which, you know, amongst the critics was ridiculed, but he was saying, no, you don't get the point, do you? Because you're not used to listening to nothing. And when you're listening to nothing, you are listening to something. You know, it's, it's the same as... Um, cutting out half the words we speak maybe we get greater sense and greater clarity over of what we actually are saying or or hearing so tell us about this john cage <clears throat> thing what are you referring to i don't know i'm not an expert john cage 1960s i think avant-garde uh, composer wrote a piece of music called four minutes 33 mm-hmm. and it was just four minutes 33 of silence and it was um can you believe in concert halls, 4 minutes 33 was performed. Um, and it's a bit like the Emperor's New Clothes, you know, the yeah. fairy story. Yeah. A lot of reaction, you know, yeah. about it. Mm. But I can kind of see what he, the point he was trying to make. Um, you know, obviously I wouldn't want to put it on my, my, playlist. my playlist while I'm jogging, but the point was he said, you know, there, it isn't silent. It's just not got the noise in that you expect and when you're sitting listening to it 
you can still hear the people around you breathing mm. and the leaves in the trees rustling mm. and you know that that's all part and parcel but you never notice those things normally so it's so, a bit of mindfulness isn't it yeah. that you are sitting there and just observing what's happening around you and you're being able to take it all in and that helps us ground ourselves doesn't it yeah and i know from my experience of trying to record music rather like um the poem that you just read the temptation is to throw as much in there as you can mm -hmm. so oh no i'll put i'll put another another beat. put another vocal track on there and put some more and before you know it you can't hear anything because there's so much in there mm. and the original message of what you're trying to do or the pure simplicity or the beauty of what you were trying to connect with is completely lost um so the use of silence in the right places uh to to clear things so that you can focus on what's really important yeah i, I absolutely get that um although we did talk about that last time about the awkward silence i'm trying to imagine myself sitting in the concert hall and listening to nothing i would be very confused i'd be like so what's happening now and you know i would be looking around and are are the other people as uncomfortable as i am and what's really going on i don't know if i would be able to just relax and Maybe if it was explained to me f beforehand that this is what it was going yeah. to be about, then maybe. But um, I sure, struggle with silence. I'm sure um, there were those people who wanted to be part of the movement or mm -hmm. whatever, who mm -hmm. sat there in all seriousness and looked like mm. very thoughtful, enjoying this, <laughs> but didn't really understand what they were doing. And then there were cynic cynics who just thought it was funny. <laughs> but um, I guess I can see, I understand the point. I just mm -hmm. don't see it as something that you would, want to perform in a, a concert hall amongst your greatest hits sort of thing. <laughs> oh, play it again! No! Don't play it again! I'll oh, just course. do a short version. Do 2 minutes 15. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, interesting. Have you got any more poetry? On so, the yes, actually, today I have two more still. I don't know if we have time for both, but I would like to, to start with... Uh, um, so, my favourite novel of all time is Jane Eyre. Really? Yeah. Do you find it dull? Uh, I'm not a bodice ripper fan, you know, the... Do you know what I mean? No. <laughs> bodice rippers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That whole school of sort of romantic, okay. um, yeah, no, not my thing. Okay. But I'm a Charles Dickens fan, really. Are you? Okay. Yeah. So this is a, a poem written by Charlotte Bronte, and it's, um, it's about silence, and it goes like, The human heart has hidden treasures, in secret kept, in silence sealed, the thoughts, the hopes, the dreams, the pleasures whose charms were broken if revealed. And days may pass in gay confusion, and nights in rosy riot fly. While lost in fame's or wealth's illusion, the memory of the past may die. But there are hours of lonely musing, such as in evening silence come, when soft as birds their opinions closing, the heart's best feelings gather home. Then in our souls there seems to languish a tender grief that is not woe, and thoughts that once rung groans of anguish 
now cause but some mild tears to flow. And feelings, once as strong as passions, float softly back, a faded dream. Our own sharp griefs and wild sensations, the tale of others' suffering seem. Oh, when the heart is freshly bleeding, how longs it for that time to be? When through the mist of years receding, its woes but live in reverie. And it can dwell on moonlight glimmer, on evening shade and loneliness, and while the sky grows dim and dimmer, feel no untold and strange distress, only a deeper impulse given by lonely hour and darkened room to solemn thoughts that soar to heaven, seeking a life and world to come. Gosh. There's yeah, a lot did those there. sisters get out much? The <laughs> I don't think you know, so. I think they I had think... a rather bleak life, to be honest. Yeah. A lot of them died of um, bronchitis and what's not the bronchitis? What's the bronchitis? Bronchitis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tuberculosis. <laughs> Tuberculosis is, is the one I'm talking about. Yes. <clears throat> um, but I, I really do like the language that she uses. It's it's just very dreamy, isn't it? It's like moonlight glimmer. It's quite gothic and sort of it is. um yeah i can um, if, dare i say it is quite feminine mm. obviously mm. comes from there i have a problem with any any poem i have to say that has the phrase oh woe in it okay do you know what i mean yeah. it's a bit woe is me <clears throat> um but it's very very um atmospheric and um and it was written in yeah. the 1800s yes so that that was kind of the mood back then. It was. Yeah. Um, yeah. What do you think about that? It kind of indicates there being two layers of silence. Mm. The sort of... The, the, the normal quiet silence, and then underneath that there's an even deeper... There's, yeah. Even more, deeper like, silence through which real grief or real joy Exactly, exists. takes place, yeah. Um and also, I, they needed a lot of silence to be able to, wrote, to write those books. I yeah. mean, those are some mammoth books, and they, they died quite young. Probably if you're sharing a bedroom with all these sisters <laughs> all trying to write books at the same time. Exactly. It's probably pretty... Probably, uh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. silence for God's sake. Uh, yeah, look. <laughs> I've nearly finished my book. Shut up. I, I need to finish. Did they live all in the same place? I'm, I'm guessing, yeah. I'm guessing so. I think their father was a priest, and they didn't have that much money. Wow. And, um, yeah, they all lived together. But yeah. they were all rather gloomy let's yeah. say everything they wrote was rather gloomy. there's a line in there i don't know that you can find it uh, which i really liked which was about um the feeling of uh, a feeling of sadness or grief yeah a, there tender, it is. Grief. a tender grief um that is not that woe. is not woe what does that mean do you think so deeper than a deeper-seated deep, grief than, than just, just feeling unhappy or, or sorrowful about something. I think so too. Grief, and sometimes we grieve things that we don't even know, right? Sometimes you grieve things that you yeah. have not had. Uh, you grieve a future that you haven't had yet, you know? So maybe there was some kind of longing in her. Yeah. That Do you ever she... have that feeling then when you you just feel really sad? Yes. Like you feel you want to burst into tears or you feel really unhappy but you don't know why. Yeah. I have that all the time. Is that on me? <laughs> Usually when I'm teaching my business class. <laughs> no, sorry. No. But no, I do. I do get that quite a lot and I'm not 
I would have thought with age and experience, I'd be much more aware of what it was, yeah. but actually i become less. Interesting. Have you become more sensitive to these things? Well, I think it's what's in your poem. Yeah. There. Yeah. That when you're younger, you feel sad because I've just hurt my knee mm. or because I didn't get, mm. you know, the, the sweets that I wanted. Mm. Whereas now it's a deeper grief uh, that is not woe. Mm. What is it? It's kind of like... It's maybe the accumulation of all the things that happened in your life. Yeah, in your was, life that you're like really grieving the things that haven't happened and the things that haven't happened that yeah, you want it to happen. It's like all that stuff that builds up at the bottom of the... Uh, exactly. Of your, your jar or whatever, a jar of liquid. Yeah. Sort of, you know, and it just bubbles up to the surface and yeah. then you're yeah. very sad right there. Do you have that feeling sometimes when you listen to a certain song and it brings back with it the oh, whole terrible. story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some songs... I can't listen to yeah. anymore yeah. because I... they have such an emotional connection. And, uh, yeah, writing songs. Mm. If I write songs, that usually there's some sort of emotional reason for writing it. And sometimes it can be so strong that I can't sing the song. Okay. I have to put the song away for a couple of weeks until the, um, the grief that is not um, woe has gone away and then I can do it. Okay. But yeah, it's quite quite strong. I find music to be extremely... I think I'm not the only one. Many people, maybe even everybody in the world, finds music extremely powerful in changing your mood. Like, yeah, yeah. for me, if I'm feeling down and I really want to change my mood, which sometimes we don't. Sometimes we want to just wallow, don't we? We just want I, to wallow in our sorrow, in our woes. So if you were feeling really down in the dumps, upset, sad, or, yeah. are you more likely to go home and put some happy music on to cheer you up or are you going to put something really grim on just to reinforce your mood so it depends that's what i'm saying if i really want to get out of it if i make that conscious decision to leave that that hole that dump then i will put put on some nice music and just like dance by myself in my in my bathroom yeah. and that really really does change my mood but if i feel like no i've got to sit in this grief for a moment and i have got to really experience it all sometimes you really have to live it all out you know and like go to the deepest deepest so, um so what's your go-to piece of music if you're feeling really grim and you want to continue feeling really sad? It's interesting, because if it's Would a you? breakup, then I have a different set of songs, you okay. know? And if it's, um, I don't know, if I'm missing someone, then there is this one Arabic song that I remember listening to back then when everybody that I loved was somewhere else and I was by myself in Aleppo. And, and, and I remember not just listening to it. Oh, and there's the other thing. There's this sadistic piece of it. It's like, yeah. if I'm listening to it, I have to send it to other people to feel oh, the same. Oh, no. <laughs> Don't so. send it to me. <laughs> so, so, but it's this, this shared experience of, like, look how, like, I have a very painful memory of when my parents divorced And we had this shared experience, my siblings and I, uh, we were very young, and we were listening to my mom's um, tapes, listening to all of her music, and just crying all together. It's like, uh, why are we doing this to ourselves? But, there, but there's something rather lovely about it. Because misery loves company, doesn't yeah. it? And it's really kind of like, let's, let's console each other by being sad together. Yeah. And I, I like that. That's part of the human experience, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's like, we don't want yeah. to suffer alone. We, we want to do it together. Yeah. But... But if I feel like, okay, now it's enough, now I've wallowed and now I've lived it all, I've experienced it all, I feel also suffering, feeling like the sadness is part of being human, isn't it? Like I was talking to one of 
our friend actually a long time ago. And he said, and this was very interesting, he said that he watched a movie in his, I don't know, late 30s or in his 40s. And he said, if he had watched this in his 20s before his heart was broken, before mm -hmm. all of the problems that he had in, he encountered later had happened, he would not have experienced it the same way. He would not have understood it, which is really wow. interesting, isn't it? Because... And he was, he was grateful for all the problems that had happened in his life that made him appreciate this movie now. And I find that very true. Wow. And if you think all of it, like all the biggest pieces of art come from suffering. Yeah. Very few of them come from joy. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, my, <clears throat> my favorite music, um, like my favorite movies probably, are ones that hurt. Mm. Yes. Uh, you know, I like sometimes to torture myself with mm -hmm. music that is so sad. Yeah. I so I have my almost like my bucket list of <laughs> songs to cry to, or yeah. songs that I know are going to choke me. Yeah. And they're they're wide ranges of stuff, mm. and for different reasons mm. too. Mm -hmm. You know, at Christmas time, there are one or two Christmas carols that have such strong memories for me of when I was a little boy that I can't sing them anymore. Wow. So sad because wow. it brings back so much yeah. about my my youth. Um, Samuel Barber, Adagio for Strings. That piece of music is a killer. It's a killer. For anybody who knows that piece will know what I'm talking about. Mm. So, you know, if I'm really sad, put that on and I am absolute, yeah, I've, I'm, a mess. I'm in a mess. Um, there's a band, a Scottish band called Blue Nile. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, probably mm -hmm. not. Very ambient, but their, song, their songs are so... <laughs> It's Depressing. so sad. Well, yeah, no, I love it. I love it. But in my previous relationships, if ever my partner came home and I was playing the Blue Nile, they knew I was not in a good mood. Oh, okay. What's wrong with you? Yeah. So no. Really but interesting. I think I think that's very important, actually, that we feel our feelings because a lot of people don't feel their feelings and they just bottle them up and they at some point they they just lose their minds. You know, they they. And they react so stupidly to small things. And you're like, whoa, where did this come from now? Yeah, yeah. And it's because they don't acknowledge their feelings. They don't sit with their feelings. They don't reflect and they don't realize what's wrong with them. Well, for Sometimes, me, it's only, it's only a modern occurrence, actually, for me. Yeah. Um, even 10 years ago, I would have absolutely bottled up anything that I felt. Mm. So I think it's only as I've got older that I've realized, actually, it's more healthy yeah. to, you know face up to mm -hmm. your emotions and be, you know, uh, try and release them, try and address them. But as a child, yeah, my, my generation was very much the generation of, you know, pick Stiff yourself up, upper lip. dust yourself down, carry on, don't let anybody see any signs of weakness because that's going to be damaging for you. And was that just for the masculine or for both? No, I mean, I, I think it's possibly because of my mother, <laughs> but my mother was typical of her post-war generation. Mm. We've all had to suffer so much you and your generation, you've got nothing to complain about. Mm. So the, you know, whatever happens to you, you should just get on with it because you're lucky. It's interesting. And, um, you know, I think there's a whole generation, my whole generation, were very heavily influenced by that. Margaret Thatcher, she mm. was exactly the same, that sort yeah. of same mentality. Yeah. Interestingly, very feminine. Yeah. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a massive, it didn't come from the men, it came from the women. Interesting. Um, because, like, a part of me wants to say that this is what we teach boys, you know, just man up and walk yeah. it off and yeah, don't yeah. show weakness and why are you such a sissy? And But you're saying that it's actually, it's both men and women. Actually, you're saying it's coming more from the women. I think, 
more women do the you better man up sort of thing to mm. boys mm. than men do. Because I think men, or maybe it's just a more modern occurrence, I think men have become a lot wiser to the fact that men do have emotions too. <laughs> and it is okay. Mm. Um, and maybe living up to the, the male stereotype is not as essential as it, as it was. It's not helping anyone. No. It's um, like by denying your feelings, you're really hurting everyone around you because yeah, all of a yeah, sudden yeah. you get really crazy and you might be violent. And I think I really firmly believe, I mean, some of it is testosterone, but a lot of it is bottled emotions that you well, don't know what to do with. And you domestic just, violence, yeah. of course, is a two-way thing. But of course, it's primarily the male mm. who is the perpetrator. Um, and born largely a lot of it i'm sure as you say is to mm. do with bottled up emotion yeah. or not knowing how to handle the emotion that you've yeah. got um and the only way you can you know relieve any of that is the only way that is left open to you which is to you know resorting yeah. to violence which yeah. is yeah we're like there's a part of me that wants to say oh we veered off topic and this is not about silence anymore but it's very much about silence isn't it because you don't know how to talk about it you just let it fester within you and then, boom, it just blows up in everybody's face. It's, yeah, being silent over things that you shouldn't be silent about. And sort of what we, we picked up on and several times so far in the discussion. But, but you know, I think um, so many times because of trauma mm-hmm. or previous life events, things just get left Unspoken because we don't want to have to um, tackle that same emotion again. You know, for boys, um, I'm sure that's why there's so much aggressive behaviour when they're older. It's just a mask for childhood trauma. But I think a lot of it as well, a lot of the silence that we have is fear of being, I don't know, rejected, misunderstood, you know, labelled, whatever it is. There are so many times we want to say things, but we worry that they won't be received the right way, so we just keep them inside. But doesn't mean that we're Mm. not resentful. We still get resentful. We just don't know how to explain it. Definitely living evidence of that. I mean, uh, we talked in the past about, you know, rejection is my number one failure. I can't, you know, I hate being rejected. And silence is a key ingredient in rejection. Mm. You know, you do something and you get no feedback. Yes. You think you've done something good, you don't get a positive response. You ask for affirmation or you ask for feedback and you don't get it. Mm-hmm. Are all forms of rejection. They're not active, but they feel like rejection and they, they trigger the same emotional response to, to other forms of rejection. So I'm really, really susceptible to that. Yeah. But I can I, feel it when, it when it's happening. Yeah. But yeah. I'm very happy to hear that you have now found a way around it and now you talk about things more. Um, that's really healthy and I'm very happy. I mean, for as a woman who's very um, emotional, not emotional, but expressive, I don't have, I've never had this issue. I never understood why people don't talk about things. But I do understand now that people find it sometimes very hard to say what plagues them and to lay things on the table or sometimes to be even aware of it themselves so very nice yeah no a great breakthrough for me i think um yeah it's just important to have some people in your life where you feel comfortable enough that you can absolutely and for people who don't and i know plenty back in from my generation of friends at school who still live in the same sort of environment and um 
I, I just don't know what they're feeling emotionally because they don't give anything away. This is very sad, very sad, really. Really, really sad. Such yeah. a shame indeed. So I know you have a nice poem that you found. That yeah. um, It's a longer one, but um, I'll be very happy to listen to it. Yeah, I went hunting because you're so good at finding stuff to, um, to, uh, to read... So I thought, let's see if I can find a good poem. And I hit upon this poem by a gentleman called Edgar Lee Masters, uh, who was uh, American uh, and around late 1800s, lived till 1950s. So relatively contemporary. Mm. But to be honest, I've never heard of him, Mm -hmm. never read his work before. Um, What I do know is that he was an attorney, Mm And he wasn't just a poet. So he wrote uh, 15 novels. Oh, wow. 21 books of poetry, 16 biographies. um, um, As well as being an attorney during the day. So he was clearly... Very prolific. Very prolific writer. Um, But he died penniless in a pauper's grave. So um, I don't know what what we make of that. But anyway. But he wrote this... um, aptly titled, given what our podcast is about, he wrote an aptly titled poem called Silence. And I was blown away by this because it beautifully summarised, I think, almost all the themes that we've talked about Mm -hmm. in the two episodes Mm -hmm. so far. So this will be a nice way to wrap everything up. Well, yeah, let's see if it says anything that we didn't talk about or whether we can use it as a tick list. But let me read it to you. Silence. I have known the silence of the stars and of the sea and the silence of the city when it pauses and the silence of a man and a maid and the silence for which music alone finds the word and the silence of the woods before the winds of spring begin and the silence of the sick when their eyes roam about the room. And I ask for the depths of what use is language A beast of the field moans a few times when death takes its young. And we are voiceless in the presence of realities. We cannot speak. A curious boy asks an old soldier sitting in front of the grocery store, how did you lose your leg? And the old soldier is struck with silence. Or his mind flies away because he cannot concentrate it on Gettysburg. It comes back jocosely and he says, a bear bit it off. And the boy wonders, while the old soldier dumbly, feebly lives over the flashes of guns, the thunder of cannon, the shrieks of the slain, and himself lying on the ground, and the hospital surgeons, the knives, and the long days in bed. But if he could describe it all, he would be an artist. But if he were an artist, there would be deeper wounds which he could not describe. There is the silence of a great hatred, and the silence of a great love and the silence of a deep peace of mind, and the silence of an embittered friendship. There is the silence of a spiritual crisis through which your soul, exquisitely tortured, comes with visions not to be uttered into a realm of higher life. And the silence of the gods who understand each other without speech. There is the silence of defeat. There is the silence of those unjustly punished and the silence of the dying whose hand suddenly grips yours. There is the silence between father and son when the father cannot explain his life 
even though he'd be misunderstood for it. There is the silence that comes between husband and wife. There is the silence of those who have failed. And the vast silence that covers broken nations and vanquished leaders. There is the silence of Lincoln, thinking of the poverty of his youth, and the silence of Napoleon after Waterloo, and the silence of Jeanne d'Arc saying amid the flames, blessed Jesus, revealing in two words all sorrow, all hope. And there is the silence of age, too full of wisdom for the tongue to utter it in words intelligible to those who have not lived the great range of life. And there is the silence of the dead. If we who are in life cannot speak of profound experiences, why do you marvel that the dead do not tell you of death? Their silence shall be interpreted as we approach them. Wow. I love this. And I really think it really summarizes everything we have talked about. I don't know if yeah. there's anything left to say. Maybe. Yeah, I think. Thank you for uh, coming up with the idea of silence as our first topic. Because when you first suggested it, it was like, um, how can we possibly talk about silence? Uh, we're it's never going to find anything. It is quite ironic that we should start with it. But um, on this voyage of discovery, of trying to find things, um, I've learned so much. Um, and I found a poet. I must read some more. Um, but that poem really blew me away. It is amazing. Because it talks about all the things that we learned about from uh, our Holocaust experience, um, all the things we've talked about in relationships, all the things we talked about. Um, stunted relationships, yeah. stunted communication. And this is all encapsulated in one Absolutely. single poem. I love it. Well done, you. Yeah. So Do I get a prize then for you, that? You do. Awesome. <laughs> Let me think about it. So um, I think this concludes this episode then. Yeah, and I think we're done. I think that's really good. It's a good place to stop. And next week we'll come back with a new topic. So I'll see yeah. you then. Yeah, thank you for listening. And um, that was um, our two cents on silence. Very good. Okay, bye. We hope that you've enjoyed listening to the readings we chose for you today. And that our musings have ignited your thoughts. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and those you think would enjoy it. If you have any thoughts, suggestions or any kind of feedback, please send us an email using the email in the show notes. We'd love to hear from you with the words that make you.